from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. It's the first time in five years of doing this podcast, and it has been five years, uh, December of 2018. Yes. In fact, this is our 260th episode. And if you divide that by 52 weeks in a year, well, there you exactly go. five. Exactly five years. Yeah. And it's the first time in these five years that Christmas has fallen on the day that we typically release our podcast. So Merry Christmas. Today, if you're listening on Monday, is Christmas Day. Yeah. Wendy, I have a question for you. Okay. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you. So it's totally surprise question. Go for it. I want you to share with me, because I don't even know if I know the answer to this question, and with all our listeners, of course, what is your favorite Christmas carol? Oh, there are several that I love. Mm, I I think I'm going to say, actually, it's one I hardly ever sing, because it's a little hard to sing, Mm -hmm. but Oh Holy Night. Oh, I, and we may have talked about this we, on a previous episode. Yeah, now episode. that's ringing a bell, because yeah. that's my favorite, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have talked about it. I bet, you know, I bet there are listeners out there who, who think, knew what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, Wendy and Christopher are having a senior moment right now, because it might have even been just last year. I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, But actually, I have another one that I've been enjoying a lot recently, a couple. Yeah. So one is... Um, in the deep midwinter. Oh yeah, yeah. That's which is, uh, yeah, beautiful. You can look it up if you haven't ever heard it before. So, so touching. Um, and also, I just heard one was not a Christmas carol, but like a Christmas uh, worship song called um, "Make Room in Your Heart," and that one has been really mm. just blessing me. I heard it at prayer group and it just really stuck in my head this year. So it's a beautiful song. I invite people to go to our YouTube channel. And if you want to have a little laughter at the same time as having a um, a little theological insight about a little figurine that's part of the the manger set in, in certain European countries, called if to translate it would be called the pooper <laughs> but there is there is uh, why am i how did oh cuz you said open wide what what is the car, the song make room in your heart make room in your heart which reminded me of something i said in that video which is if jesus can be born in a, a manure infested stable then he can certainly come into the poopy scoop in my own life right and this is i think is is the symbol of this pooper this guy, I mean, I'm not making this up. It's actually a legitimate tradition in certain countries where part of the manger set is not just Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the three wise men and the shepherds, but this guy who's squatting—I <laughs> know it sounds really weird. He's squatting and taking a poop, but it there's there's real meaning to it. So check out—we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, to this episode where you can go look at this video on YouTube where I unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Unpack, no no pun intended. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I didn't even I didn't even try that. That just happened. <laughs> that was that was a good one. That was spontaneous. 
And now I'm wondering, do you have any updates for us on the TOB Institute? I do. Well, we're about to start a new year, and we have some very exciting things coming in 2024, a full slate of courses. You can check out the link in the show notes. I do want to just highlight a couple things about our course schedule. Look at the online courses and the in-person courses. For those who aren't familiar with our in-person courses, it's a five-day format. We typically start on a Sunday night and end Friday at lunchtime. Um, people love that five-day kind of retreat format for our courses, but we do have them online if you're not able to travel to Pennsylvania here in the United States. I know we have a, a global audience. Um, but one thing I do want to highlight, we still have some spaces available for the Sexual Integration and Redemption course that starts the final days of January and into the first few days of February. This is presented by the Desert Stream Ministry Team, and it's a little different than our other courses. It's uh, it's a deep dive into inner healing. Like if you have already had some exposure to John Paul II's Theology of the Body and you're, you're wanting to live it out at a deeper level, this would be a great course for you. If you have particular struggles with relationships, with sexual addictions, or maybe sexual compulsions that you're not able to overcome, uh, this would be a great opportunity to experience some real healing in a safe environment where the small group work that is done on this course is is uh, protected and the proper boundaries are up where you can really dive deep and receive some real healing. So check that out in the show notes, the link to that. Uh, we have a couple pilgrimages coming up in 2024. One is to England, led by Bill Dunahy, and this is going to be looking into the lives of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and how their sacramental vision of the world can inform our understanding of theology of the body. Bill Dunahy just taught a course on that that went swimmingly well, and he's leading a pilgrimage with the same theme this year. We were going to go to the Holy Land, and for understandable reasons, we are not going to the Holy Land in 2024. But it looks like we're going to be going to Italy, and maybe by the time this episode airs, we will have more of the official information on that. Uh, but that is going to be the first full week of September, I believe. Mm. Uh, so check out all those things. We're also going to have a full slate of Made for More events. We're going on tour. You can look at our schedule as well, which will be in the show notes. And I'll say more about that as the year unfolds, the new year, that is. All right. You ready for a question? Let's do it. This is from an anonymous patron. I keep hearing that Pope Francis said the church is going to start blessing same-sex unions. That doesn't make any sense to me because of all I've learned from TOB. What is going on? Yes, this has been in the media quite a bit lately. You've probably seen it. Uh, it's hard not to because there's been a firestorm about it. And I always urge people, go to the horse's mouth. If you are getting your information about what the Vatican is saying or what Pope Francis has said about uh, the blessing of same-sex couples, if you're getting that from the media, even some Catholic media outlets have been jumping on the bandwagon here, seemingly not reading the document. Um, I have the. I've I've spent some time with the document, and I have it right here. And I'm just going to pull up 
a few of the key phrases, just so we are very clear. Let me, let me just say it flat out. The church is not changing her teaching on sex and on marriage. What this document does do, if we're going to say there's something new in the document, it's helping us to have a, a broader understanding of blessings. And in some sense, this is new, and in some sense, it's not new at all. There's a liturgical blessing that is part of the rite of the church, R-I-T-E, and that can only be conferred on a married couple. But there are informal blessings, uh, what this document refers to as a pastor's simple blessing or a pastor's spontaneous blessing. And and just think of how many times you've you know, been at some event, maybe on a pilgrimage or something, and the priest stands up and uh, on the bus and gives everybody a blessing. He's not coming to each of you and saying, what are you doing in your bedroom the night before? And if you did something wrong, uh, I'm not going to give you a blessing. Um, there are simple blessings. There are what the church is calling in this document, a pastor's simple blessing or a spontaneous blessing that are to be distinguished from the blessings of a liturgical rite. The church is very clear in this document. It states it very plainly. Uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith had a document in 2021, and it's quoted here, which states that the church does not have the power to impart blessings on unions of persons of the same sex. That statement from 2021, which has always been the teaching of the church, is reiterate, reiterated in this document, so it's very clear the church does not have the power to impart blessings on unions of persons of the same sex. So let me just read a few other things from this document. Uh, this is direct quote. This is uh, section number four. Rites and prayers that could create confusion between what constitutes marriage, which is the exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman, naturally open to the generation of children, and what contradicts that are inadmissible. This conviction is grounded in the perennial Catholic doctrine of marriage. It is only in this context that sexual relations find their natural, proper, and fully human meaning. The church's doctrine on this point remains firm. So that's a direct quote right out of the document. Um, and then it says, when people ask for a blessing, and in the context it means a pastor's simple blessing, what the document calls a pastor's simple blessing. An exhaustive moral analysis should not be placed as a precondition for conferring what the church here refers to as a pastor's simple blessing, right? A blessing of this kind may be imparted upon those who, and listen to this, this is interesting, recognizing themselves to be destitute and in need of God's help, do not claim a legitimation of their own status, but who beg that all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and in their relationships be enriched, healed, and elevated. Right? The document goes on. This is That was section number 31, and this is section number 34. How often through a pastor's simple blessing, which does not claim to sanction or legitimize anything, can people experience the nearness of the Father beyond all of our merits and desires? 
this is section 38 of the document. In a brief prayer preceding this spontaneous blessing, remember that's, again, a distinction from a blessing of a liturgical rite, right? In a brief prayer preceding this spontaneous blessing, the ordained minister could ask that the individuals have peace, health, a spirit of patience, dialogue, and mutual assistance, but also that they would have God's light and strength to be able to fulfill his will completely. That's the context in which the church is saying people can receive a blessing without some inquiry into the, the moral status of their lives, right? And that, in that sense, it's nothing new. Um, towards the end of the document, this is section 39, it says, in any case, precisely to avoid any form of confusion or scandal, when the prayer of blessing is requested by a couple in an irregular situation, even though it is expressed outside the rites prescribed by the liturgical books, this blessing should never be imparted in concurrence with the ceremonies of a civil union and not even in connection with such ceremonies. Nor can a blessing be performed with any clothing, gestures, or words that are proper to a wedding. The same applies when the blessing is requested by a same-sex couple. So just a few key points from this document just to clarify, um, I mean, I really believe the, the media here is, I think, is culpable for its irresponsible reporting, right? They come with their own agenda and the headlines read things like Pope Francis blesses same-sex unions, radical change of Catholic teaching at long last, you know, those kind of things. Those, those, those may get clicks on some news services website, but, but this is irresponsible. It just seems like no one has really paid attention to what this document actually says, or very few people have paid attention to what this document actually says. And I'll confess myself that when I first heard this news, you know, I was getting some of the headlines before I had read it, my initial response was, oh gosh, here we go. Uh, this is going to be a major problem. And I was kind of, you know, kind of going along with the flow like a lot of people were that you know, Pope Francis had made some major blunder here. But if you read the document, go to the horse's mouth, uh, I think you're, just as I've shared some of this document, any faithful Catholic out there will have your, your concerns put at ease. Now, can this document be misinterpreted, misapplied? Will it be? It already has been. Uh, those who have an agenda to, to push here uh, will certainly use this document illegitimately to, to put forth their own agenda to change the church's teaching, even though the document is very, very clear that the church's teaching is not changing. So I've been under this situation myself, you know, where my comments have been taken out of context. I, I am just always of the mind, go to the source, read it for yourself. Don't trust the headlines. Uh, sadly, even some Catholic commentators who who I I know and love and uh, trust ha have I think spoken too hastily here, and and not actually given Francis the benefit of the doubt and weighed his own word. Actually, they're not his words, but the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. 
but it was signed by Francis. So yeah, go to the document yourself. We'll put a link to the document in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. Thank you so much for sharing those things from the document. You may not be surprised that I actually haven't read the document myself, so everything you shared there was totally new to me. Um, So I'm just like a listener (laughs) at this moment. I am a listener. But I'll just say to listeners that, you know, we do have a, as I often will comment about our call to intercede, you know, that when there's this kind of confusion, it, oh, it's so painful. Like, it's, it, confusion is wounding, you know, and we can be wounded by the experience of a rush of emotions that goes along with confusion. And all of that is really our enemy, which is a spiritual reality, are, is happy for us to be suffering these wounds of confusion and feeling just those conversations that you're not prepared for, the the angers and the different things that can come out in human relationships are very difficult. So we, all of us who've been affected by that, have much to take to prayer, um, and especially, you know, in our own relationships, that to ask the Lord to shine His light. That's one of the things that the document actually said, was that, like, uh, an informal blessing could be preceded by a prayer that um, that the light would be given to follow God's will in our lives. And so, yeah, I just want to pray for that for us, all of us that have been yeah, caught up in the confusing and wounding um, just messages that have been going around about this. And Lord, I want to lift up to you right now, especially people who are living in what the document called sort of irregular relationships, um, you know, that are perhaps still looking for the good and afraid of what the challenge may be upon their lives if they really admit what they're called to and what the Lord wants them to step forward in faith, to live His will for their lives, to live the truth of their bodies, as we so often talk about. Lord, I ask your grace is to be poured out through this document, through clarity of hearing the wisdom of the church, and um, ask your mercy, Lord, on those who intentionally have caused this confusion. Yeah, the gospel story that comes to my mind here, Wendy, is the uh, the Lord asleep on the boat during the raging storm. Mm. And I pray for that grace because for myself and for, for us and for all our listeners, because the church is really passing through some serious storms, and my prediction is those storms are going to get even more violent. May we, Lord, please learn the path, learn the, the, the way, experience the grace to sleep with you on the boat peacefully, knowing the Father is in control of everything, and he's granted that authority to you. And in the right way, at the right time, you will wake up, Lord, and we with you, and you will calm the storm. Help us not with our own impatience or fears or accusations 
to, to stir the storm up even more violently than it's already stirred up. And when we smell it, when we see it, when we feel that storm getting churned of confusion and uh, just that whole brouhaha of, of uh, yeah, confusion, may we learn, Lord, to trust that you are in control and you will calm the storm and we can sleep with you in the midst of even a raging storm, knowing that in the end, all will be well. Even if we have to pass through real trials, um, if you teach us anything, Jesus, you teach us that whew, the way to the glory that we all desire comes through a lot of messiness. And if we're following you, it's going to be a bloody mess, but it's going to lead to glory. Teach us, Lord, to trust in the midst of that bloody mess. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Does the theology of the body have anything to say about consummating your marriage on the wedding night itself? We know that if a Catholic couple has grave reason to avoid children, they can abstain from intercourse during the fertile time. However, I've heard it said that if one chooses to abstain from intercourse on their wedding night, then they're not proclaiming with their bodies the marital vows they made on the altar to be open to life. Therefore, they should wait to be married until the grave reason is removed so they can enter into marriage freely. I understand this point, but I struggle to understand why abstaining in the beginning of marriage would be considered wrong, while abstaining later on in marriage would be okay. With this logic, wouldn't every time of abstinence then proclaim with your body that you're not open to life? And how's that possible without contraception? This question initially surfaced from my own fear of conceiving dur during our first year of marriage. I was worried about the possibility of welcoming a child while simultaneously learning married life, moving to a new state, paying off debt, and traveling for ministry. I've since given these fears to the Blessed Mother and have peace in her son's plan for our fertility. I don't want to avoid conceiving out of fear. However, I still wonder, is it possible for the Lord to call you to the sacrament of marriage and call you not to grow your family immediately? That's a detailed uh, question. I'm uh, Wow. God bless that dear Hannah. Yes. Um, I don't know where you got this information, Hannah. Uh, she didn't say, but it is faulty. I'll just say that right away. There is no such teaching of the church that one is obligated to come together in the marital embrace on the wedding night. There could be any number of reasons, <laughs> including sheer exhaustion, that would lead a couple not to come together on their wedding night. There's no obligation here to come together on your wedding night. Zero, zilch. Is it fitting to come together on your wedding night? Is it special to come together on your wedding night? Sure. Um, I'm trying to think. I think we may have even entertained if we would just go to sleep because we were so tired on our wedding night. Uh, praise the Lord. We stayed up, and that was beautiful. That's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is no—I don't know where you're, you're getting this, Hannah. It's, it's whoever shared that with you is exaggerating a certain truth— the certain truth here is, yes, we're, we are called in, in each and every marriage act, we must leave the possibility of conception entirely in God's hands and do nothing to render the act sterile. But we are not obligated uh, on any given night to engage in the marital act, including on 
the wedding night. It sounds to me like somebody took certain truths of the church's teaching and in his or her own um, kind of interpretation of them started thinking, well, if you're not ready to have a baby, then why, why even get married? And there may be some wisdom to that, right? That's something to look at if you're planning a wedding and you know uh, right away that you're not going to be able to welcome life into the world and you know, you could take that into consideration. That's a pastoral consideration, but there is no moral obligation that you, that says you you shouldn't be getting married if you can't welcome new life right at the start of your marriage. So you and I, Wendy, uh, we got married in 1995. I was in graduate school. You were working as a nurse to pay our bills, and based on the Lord's wider plan for our marriage, we discerned that it would not be prudent to bring a, a life into the world right away in our marriage. So we we knew natural family planning and we used it accordingly. And it worked out very well for us. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I again, just to reiterate, there is nothing, nothing in the church's teaching, nothing in John Paul II's theology of the body that would lend itself to an interpretation that one must consummate on the wedding night. In fact, we have dear friends who... Uh, they were fertile on their wedding night, and they abstained for the first week of their marriage. And I remember them telling us stories about how they loved one another, and uh, yeah, it was beautiful. It's a beautiful expression of the freedom, right? If we have this impression you're going to be chomping at the bit to finally indulge on the wedding night, well, that's the wrong attitude to begin with. Um, such such a couple is called to, well, all couples, obviously, we're all called to self-mastery. And self-mastery means we can say yes or we can say no. Uh, and if you can't say no, your yes doesn't really mean much. You're just responding to a, a hormone you can't control. Yeah. So the call is to freedom, 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 freedom. I think in our world today, we are just so countercultural. We're just ridiculous. You know, if we've saved sex for marriage, we're already seem ridiculous compared right. to the culture. And if we're using natural family planning, we seem ridiculous. And people don't even have a concept anymore of just the the tenderness of, uh, you know, a, a peace in the heart about um, being married and knowing God has a beautiful plan and we will find greater joy in living according to that than we would in this perception of right. some kind of you know, storybook conclusion to our wedding day that is somebody else's storybook. Right. We got to live right. our own story. Amen. You know? That's our, a great way to put it. Our own story, when we know the truth of the dignity of our bodies as God made them, the meaning of our coming together, then if our story includes having reason to avoid pregnancy in our marriage, even at the beginning, um, then, yes, when we're engaged, we are wondering, well, what is that going to mean for our wedding? And and we don't know that until pretty close to the actual right. wedding day. And certainly in our, you know, time of engagement, you and I were interested in what was happening in the yeah, cycles and sure. what was that going to mean with a proper excitement and hope that it would mean one thing and an acknowledgement that if it didn't, the Lord's grace would be there with us to allow us to be joyful in our marriage, even if it involved abstaining on the wedding night. I know every couple is unique and needs to process through feelings about this on their own. I, 
I feel like this advice, don't get married if you're if you have reason to avoid pregnancy, it comes from, to me, just like a, a person that thinks about rules, rules, rules without the deeper elements of like experiencing the graces that can come through things like studying theology of the body, through meditating on the deeper meaning of union yeah. beyond the certain feeling that it's finally available to us. Yes. You know? So I just think, you know, you sound, Hannah, like someone who has a prayer life that enables you to understand this deeper call, and hopefully your fiancé is also that way. And and you are so blessed. Just rejoice in the blessings in your life. It's so rare in this world to know these truths and to allow them to set you free as you have. And I hope that just your sharing your question, you know, will help other couples to recognize what a blessing it is to be entering into such a marriage where you take the time to understand your cycle, take the time to pray and understand God's wider purposes for your lives, that you communicate and look forward to the whole of marriage and not just your wedding night as if somehow, I don't know, like, it's just like the world is telling you, you you don't have the grace available to live your marriage when you just had the sacrament. Amen. That grace has been poured out. Receive you, it. That's There it is. There it is. Grace is real. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. Only do not use your freedom to indulge your fallen passions, right? Use your freedom to learn how to love. And that's the essence of the church's teaching. And it may be that the call of love on the wedding night is to abstain. It might be. That might be the most loving thing you can possibly do. I'm going to abstain from saying anything more about that one. (laughs) Here comes your next question, Christopher. Okay, here we go. This is from a listener named Mary. Hello, Mary. Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you very much for your podcast. Listening to you every week has blessed me a lot. I'm so glad. I would even say it is the fact of hearing your voices that brings peace to my heart, regardless of the content of the episode itself. (laughs) I'm 20 years old. So I just want to pause and just like reflect. Okay, Mary was 15 when we started recording podcasts. Wow. And I just, I say, wow, because we haven't changed that much in the five years, but a 15-year-old to a 20-year-old right, is, a big is a big leap. change. Okay. Well, maybe we have changed. I'm digressing. Let me get back. And I wanted to ask you about the way each of you live your intimacy with Jesus and mm-hmm. your unique love relationship with Him, together with your vocation to marriage and your love story as husband and wife. I find a deep desire in my heart to have a real spousal almost kind of romantic relationship with Jesus, where I let him conquer my heart and give him the first place in my life. I feel unsure as to how this works with my relationship with my boyfriend. It feels like I've been taught by society to give my boyfriend the first place and even the role of defining my identity. I wonder if the intimacy I desire with Jesus is only proper for those who have a vocation to consecrate their virginity to God. I hope you can shed some light on this from your own experience or from any resource you recommend. Mary, I love your question. This is really, really good 
stuff, like like where it's coming from in your heart. I can tell you've really pondered this. You're looking for some light here. Uh, even the different things you brought up in your question shows that you've, you're really entering in here. Let me just say this first. This struck me, of all the things you asked, this, this kind of leapt out at me. Is pursuing that kind of romance with Jesus only for consecrated or religious women? No, 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 no. We are all, we are all called to have, I'm going to quote John Paul II here, every human being is called to have an unrepeatable relationship with the Creator, with God. And that relationship is by its very nature a spousal one. It's a spousal relationship. The the whole Bible summarized in five words. You've been listening to our podcast for a while, so this is not the first time you've heard me say it. The whole Bible in five words, God wants to marry us. That spousal analogy is a bright light on the kind of intimacy we are called to have with the Lord. Here again, I'll quote John Paul II. This is from his document, Novo Millennio Innuente, number 33. I know it by heart because it's one of my favorites. He says, through various painful trials, what the mystics call the dark nights, uh, various painful purifications and trials, we are led to an intimacy with God that the mystics describe as nuptial union, right? The favorite book of the saints of the Bible, by far. The saints have written more commentaries on this book than any other book in the Bible. It's the erotic poetry of the Song of Songs. Why? Because it gives them a language to describe their intimacy with Jesus, their intimacy with God, their experience of prayer, their experience of being known, their experience of having, how did she say it? Mary said, to have my heart pursued or to have my heart... Um, Sorry, just looking. Um, to have her... Yeah, to have you, where I let him conquer my heart. Conquer your heart. That's the language of the Song of Songs, right? So yes, you are called to that. I am called to that. Wendy is called to that. And you're going to have a unique, exclusive, unrepeatable relationship with the Lord. Pursue that with all your passion. And she was also very insightful when she said um, she feels like the the society is encouraging her to put her boyfriend in that place yeah, and rather than the Even Lord. the role of defining my identity. Oh, even said. the role of defining my identity. I think that's a keen insight also into the temptation we have to, to idolize the romantic relationship of a man and a woman. And there's a reason we we idolize it. There's a reason that the sexual relationship throughout human history has been one of the main idols that we're tempted to, to treat as if it were God, right? What is an idol? It's something that is not God that we're treating as if it were God. Why are we so tempted to idolize the sexual relationship? The, the And by that, I don't just mean a sexually active relationship, but a romantic relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever the case may be. Why are we tempted to idolize that? Because in God's design, the male-female relationship, the whole way up to the marital union, the one flesh embrace is the main icon that God has given us to help us understand our relationship with him. Right? So when we have a proper iconography 
of the male-female relationship. What we have here, just as you're realizing in your own life, Mary, we have a window into heavenly mysteries. The proper living out of the male-female relationship is as icon, window to the heavenly reality. What we're really looking for, what we're really made for beyond a sexual relationship, what we're really designed for, the only thing that in the final analysis can really satisfy that cry of the heart for love and union is not the marriage of man and woman, but the marriage of Christ and the church. And yes, we, we often flip that upside down. So all that is just kind of background to answer some of those side questions, then to get what seems to the heart of the matter of her question was, how have you and I kind of worked this out as, mm-hmm. as a husband and wife? And there have been ups and downs. <laughs> Uh, we we had this theology in our heads when we got married. We were already teaching it and writing about it and sharing it in talks. And um, we, <laughs> I got hired as the director of marriage and family life for the Archdiocese of Denver, Colorado, under Archbishop Chaput in 1997. And we had only been married for two years, not even two years, when, when I was hired into that job. And I, I look back at that now and I think, what the heck did I know? Uh, about marriage and family life. I had a, a, a lot of theology in my head, which was sound theology. And Yes, you did know those things. I, I knew that, yes, yes, I so knew those things. But I want to answer that part, what did you know? Okay. You knew a lot that people needed to know. Okay, well, praise God for that. Yeah. But I was also naive on the, on the more practical side. And I, I remember, Wendy, was it, what, nine years into marriage or 10 years into marriage when you said to me... Um, you said two things. You said, I think we both need to take spiritual direction seriously. And you you corrected an error that I had had where I thought married life meant that we were supposed to be sharing with each other even the intimate things we were experiencing in prayer with God. Um, all of that, like that should all be on the table with each other. And you said, you know, I, I need my own space to have mm-hmm. my own relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And and we were at a t- and that was that was 10 years into marriage. Yeah, I think maybe it was more like 8 years in eight just years I, in. just because I believe it was part of what you know opened us both to the graces that later came out closer yeah. to the 10 year mark. I think that was almost like the beginning of that in a way. So I had yeah, I think you're right. It was maybe 8 years in. But the point is it was a long time into our marriage where where you were more onto this earlier than I was, that I had this exaggerated understanding of spousal intimacy that was confusing the lines between our relationship and the intimacy that you're, you are called to have with the Lord and that I am called to have with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the more we have that intimacy with the Lord kind of on our own, the more we have to bring to each other in a properly spousal way as as husband and wife. But I, I, I know, you know, I was I was sincere in my misguidedness. I really wanted what I wanted was for us to share a, a prayer life, um, which was a great desire. But I was misguided in thinking that means. Like, just everything should be on the table with each other, that you didn't have your own space and I didn't have my own space. And in the last 20 years that we have respected some of those boundaries where I respect 
your intimacy with Jesus, you respect my intimacy with Jesus, and we freely bring to each other as husband and wife what we think is fitting for our marriage. It's not like it's a closed book, um, but it's also not an entirely open book because there's Mm -hmm. stuff that you need to process with the Lord that actually has to do with me that you need to just get some stuff out. And I have stuff that I need to get out about you, which means you shouldn't be reading my journal and I shouldn't be right. reading your journal. And that's stuff that I was not clear on for some time in our marriage because of an exaggerated and even confused sense of where these intimacies, meaning spousal intimacy between you and me and spousal intimacy with Jesus, I didn't have clear distinctions. So, I'll say that. I'll just leave it there for now, and, and I want to hear what you have to say, Wendy, and maybe I can loop back if I have anything else I want to add or if something else comes to my mind. I, one thing that struck me in Mary's question is um, I, I really appreciated her insights about uh, her own desire in her relationship with the Lord, that that there's a desire for something, as she put it, almost romantic or kind of romantic with the Lord, and also the the social expectation of the the place of her boyfriend in her life. And I think that's very perceptive, because mm-hmm. I don't know if people come right out and say that, but it may be the example that you experience or just, um, yeah, the example of real people in your life or of stories, um, books and movies and other things that that just give that um, impression of that kind of a, uh, a priority of your boyfriend. And I think, I just think that's a very helpful thing to reflect on. And I think it's a beautiful thing, Mary, that you've acknowledged that in your own heart and mind and that you've put it into words for us. I think um, for us, as you asked about how do we do this, it has looked like different seasons of our lives involve different amounts of time spent praying separately versus praying together in different ways, because we're two people both on our journeys to the Lord, but because our vocation is marriage, you know, our our relationship is intimately part of our journey to the Lord. Um, It's not a matter of, look, I'm married to you, and that's sort of a a contract that involves these limited areas of my life, and then I'm a a human being on a journey to the Lord. And I I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I'm putting that in words very well. If you could look at me, I'm doing the Italian hand gesture thing, and you can't even see it. Like, if you could see my hands laying this out, you'd be like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but you can't see me, so... Let me just, <laughs> sorry, try to express that a little bit more, that that there is there are different seasons where sometimes the, the things that the Lord is working on in each of our hearts are very connected with our relationship with one another. And that is a powerful time for us in our sharing with one another, in our praying together. Sometimes then that leads to prayer separately and returning. And other times in our lives where we may be pursuing something that doesn't involve quite the same amount of sharing with one another, or we may each be blessed by different forms of prayer or reflection or growth that 
are of less interest to the other person sometimes. And that hasn't always felt wonderful to us, but we've like learned through experience that that's all part of the right. bigger picture of our vocation. And so that has brought us a lot of peace, a lot of ability to love the other person for who he or she is without just needing them always to fit into our personal, you know, preferences in terms of our spirituality, if that makes sense. So I, I want to encourage you, Mary, to um, yeah, resist that message that your heart is telling you is not correct, that your boyfriend should define your identity. I think that that's the great, a great insight that you had, that this relationship with the Lord is, um, it's what your heaven is going to be made of, so go for it. Yeah, and that's where your identity comes from. Isn't that, it's a clear insight, isn't it, that when you're looking to another human being to give you your identity, you have placed that person uh, as an idol in your life because that's a false god. Only God can truly give you your identity. And and this phrase came to me maybe to sum up both what you've said, Wendy, and what I've tried to communicate here. It's a, a it's a expression that applies both to marriage and to um, how our relationship with the Lord is intertwined with our relationship with each other because we are uh, we are living a sacrament. Uh, marriage is a sacrament, meaning it really communicates the love of Christ for the church. So we have this relationship with the Lord, but we also have the sacrament that communicates our relationship with the Lord. It's all intertwined, but there's a, this is the expression, a unity in distinction. You and I are united as one without losing our individual identity. Um, and when we lose individual identity, it's a sign that something is off. And I remember a time in our marriage where you, you felt like you were kind of getting swallowed up in my rather large personality, and that was a, like a flag, like something's wrong, something's off. Unity in distinction means it's the difference, it's the distinction that allows the unity. Um, and I think we can apply the same to the unity of our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with each other. That unity also has a distinction. Uh, and in as much as I honor your distinct relationship with the Lord and you honor my distinct relationship with the Lord, it allows for us to have a unity in our relationship with the Lord. We have a a together relationship. A together relationship we, we with the Lord mm -hmm. because we're husband and wife. Yeah. And and I can say for certainty in, in our experience that the more you are in touch with your relationship with the Lord, the better you love me. Mm -hmm. And the more I'm in touch with my distinct, unique relationship with the Lord, the better I love you. Mm -hmm. And when that gets blurred, we love each other more uh, poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've known we've known all those sure. areas in our journey. So maybe just take that to prayer, Mary. Unity in distinction mm -hmm. that you are to have with a husband if you're to be married. You are meant to have a a unity with your husband, but a distinction. And your relationship with the Lord is meant to be distinct from your husband's relationship with the Lord. But there's meant to be a unity in that as well. Drawing closer to your spouse in the right way is also at one and the same time drawing closer to the Lord. And we can say the reverse. Drawing closer to the Lord in the right way 
personally is also drawing closer to your spouse. It's going to draw you closer to your spouse. I hope, I hope that makes sense. I hope that came out well. Yeah, I think it did. Well, good. Maybe we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody, who has submitted questions to us. We, every once in a while, just need to acknowledge and apologize that we aren't able to get to all of the questions. Uh, but, Wendy, I just want to commend you. I think you do a great job in fielding all those questions and in choosing the ones that, that I, th- I don't know, I think you're led by the Spirit when you choose questions. And mm-hmm. I think you choose ones that have a, um, an appeal to a wide audience, and that's really what we're, we're trying to do here uh, in our show. So, thank you for listening today. If you learned something that blessed you and you think you know anybody else who could be blessed by it, please hit that share button. And if you want to leave a comment, that always helps boosts boost our um, standings out there to get this show exposed to more and more people. We'd be grateful for that too. And again, we hope you have a merry, beautiful, blessed Christmas. We hope you got some awesome gifts, but we also hope that you know that you yourself are the most awesome gift that God has ever given you and that you would become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 